I am so excited to be here uh, this morning. Uh, I think that um, uh, Zion is an incredible place. I was reflecting on the first service uh, you had here and when me and my wife came uh, to be part of that. Um, by the way, my wife wanted to be here uh, this morning. She was uh, unfortunately involved in a hit and run accident um, earlier this week and woke up in some pain. So as you remember, my wife Lucy, please keep her in your prayers and uh, she sends her love to all of you. But I'm excited to be here this morning and to, uh, to preach um, on a very strict time limit as I was told. So if you have your Bibles, <laughs> open up with me to 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter. It's okay if your Bible glows, if it's on an iPhone, iPad. Mine is just paper and ink, old school. I called Pastor Justin, Pastor Justin this morning, and uh, Jonathan, um, who uh, he and I have been close from when you were how old? <laughs> Twelve. Um, he reminded me that Pastor Justin doesn't like to be called Pastor Justin, and then Pastor Justin replied, it's okay, he's over 40. Um, so... The Lord is dealing with all of us in very interesting ways. First <laughs> Samuel chapter 30, beginning with verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day, and now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag, and they had attacked Ziklag and burned it to the ground and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old, and they killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. Verse 3, when David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. And so David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. And David's two wives had been captured, Ahinanim of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the incredible, tangible sense of your presence that is already here and in this room. God, now we pray, Lord, hide your servant behind the cross, but allow me to speak clearly what it is you have put on my heart to share this morning, that we might find our strength this morning in God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, him who is, I am, that I am. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you say amen? amen. Now, I'm David's life, you know, oftentimes we read things in just but a few scriptures, a few pages, a couple of chapters, and we don't realize the elongated time that has lapsed in between different events. Well, he was probably 13 or 14 when his, son, his father, Jesse, didn't invite him into the house when the prophet came over, and some commentators believe that maybe David was illegitimate. He wasn't invited in, and the, the prophet Samuel was going to anoint a new king in Israel because God had rejected Saul. There's nothing quite like pride or arrogance to get God on God's bad side. And so he's going to reject Saul as king. He's going to name a new king. And Jesse brings out seven sons. And as he brings out these seven sons, Samuel goes through all of them. He gets to the first one and he's tall, dark, and handsome, a lot like me. And and um, didn't appreciate the squeal. Um, and then the Lord stops Samuel and says, hey, don't, don't do that because, you know, man judges the outward, but God judges the heart, which is important for us to remember because it's not so much only what we do, but why we do it that matters to God. 
Revelation tells us his eyes, they blaze like fire, and he examines the heart. Why do we lift up our hands? Why do we come to church? Are we putting on a show for somebody else, or is it coming from a deep place of motivation that says, God, there is no one like you? Well, even though his father didn't recognize the hand of God on his life, God stops the entire party. Samuel says, we're not going to sit down to eat until you get your son David. I don't know why you forgot about him. I don't know about you, but... Some of us have large families where they forget about kids at barbecues and load up the car because they got like eight, nine kids, and then they just forget about David or Johnny and drove off, have to come back and pick him up. I mean, Je- Jesse, did you, did you forget about your son? And he says, no, 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 he's out in the field. He's, 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 he's not worth calling in. And even when man doesn't recognize what God's got on your life, God will stop the whole thing until you show up. David shows up and immediately Samuel recognizes this is the man of God and anoints him with oil. And then God allows his, his, his gifting that's inside of him, his ability to play and, 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 and to uh, see evil spirits leave. Saul is troubled by an evil spirit. And, and so when David shows up to play because he plays skillfully and he's anointed, God uses him and the spirit leaves. And then, and then there's a day when, when there's, there's these, these two armies lined up. There's the people of God and there's the people of, uh, of, the, of Philistine, the Philistines. And they've got a nine-foot-tall giant named Goliath. Maybe you heard of that story, David and Goliath. David comes out, he simply was bringing lunch to his brothers and he was positioned to knock down a giant. And when he gets there, he says, who's this giant that would dare defile the armies of the living God? And when he goes goes up to face Goliath, he knocks him down with a slingshot, cuts off his head. The interesting thing is, if you've ever been to Israel, he takes the head of Goliath that he chops off and he places it on the top of a mount called Golgotha. The same mountain that one day Jesus would die on and ultimately chop off the head of death, hell, and the grave. The women begin to sing, Saul is slain his thousands and David is tens of thousands. And all of a sudden the Bible says that Saul begins to keep a jealous eye on David. You know, there's nothing... There's nothing quite like jealousy to distort your view of reality. From that moment on, Saul is, is this young man that used to, that killed this giant and had won this great victory. This young man that would play and, and spirits would leave. Now he's throwing spears at him and David's on the run for 13 years. Probably from when he's about 17 or 18 to in his early 30s. And Think about that. You know, we read it in a couple of moments, but we, we, we don't realize 13, 14 years. I don't know about you, but there are things that God has promised me that I'm still waiting on. And it, there's time that has elapsed, and yet I, I, I want them to come quicker. And God is saying, it'll come in the right time for you, Adam. And then we have this moment. David's on the run. It's coming toward the end of when he'll eventually become the king. And, and he is off fighting wars in enemy country, and the enemy comes in and attacks his family. The Bible says that they raided Ziklag and they burned it to the ground because if the enemy can't get you, he will go after your wife, your husband, your children. The enemy will come after your family. And David, he couldn't get David, so he went after David's family, burned it to the ground. And the Bible says the men began to weep aloud till there was no more tears to weep. I don't know if you've ever wept like that, but 
I know what, what that feels like. It's, it, it's not a weeping that comes simply from up here. It comes from deep down in your belly. The Bible says in the New Testament that there's a groan that cannot be uttered with words. I, I'm grateful to the God who, although I can't express my prayers in verbatim, I can't, I can't explain them in words all the time. He understands tears. He understands pain. David and his men were weeping until there was no more strength to weep. I tell him oftentimes a story because I'm, I'm so proud of him now. He's 15. My oldest boy, Justin, is about three inches taller than me, and he's slimmed out. And, but when he was three years old and he wasn't talking, and 12 years ago when they didn't know a whole lot about autism, and they said, your son's on the autistic spectrum, it was like a punch in the gut. It was like being reminded that somehow the enemy was going to get my son. That somehow he was not going to be the man of God. I was going to believe God for my son to be. And he said three things to me in that doctor's office. He said, your son will never be in a regular classroom. He'll never play on a regular sports team. And your son will never travel more than a couple of miles away from the home. When, he would, when we would get in the car, if we simply took a detour, Justin would have a breakdown because he didn't understand why we were going a different direction. And in that moment, I would be reminded of what that doctor said. At first, it caused me to weep. At first, it caused me to be sorrowful. At first, it caused a difficulty inside of me. But there is a place where you have been down long enough, and then you get up and you say, today I'm going to find my strength in the Lord. Come on, let's put our hands together and bless our God. You can do better than that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know where the enemies come into your life, but here's what I want to remind you this morning. You've been down long enough. You've been weeping for long enough. You've been crying for long enough. You've, there's a moment and a, a time where you go from weeping to it stiffens your backbone. And you just remind the enemy you've crossed the wrong person. You don't understand that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And with all due respect to you, what you meant for evil, God's going to turn it around for good. I told you my son is 15 now, and it didn't happen in a moment. Didn't happen because we laid hands on him, anointed him with oil, and it happened at an old school. Didn't happen that way. Sometimes it does, and I praise God for those moments. But other times it happens through a journey. Oftentimes we overemphasize the destination, and we underappreciate the journey. But as my pastor would remind me, he would say, Adam, it's not just about what you accomplish. It's who you become in the process. Justin's 15 now, lots of praying, lots of believing God, lots of doing whatever we could to find help for him in any other way. But my son now, he's not only in a regular classroom, my son is a National Honor Society member. And my, son, my son's got a, a 99 average in math, and when they were talking about colleges, talking about applying to MIT. My son... My son's played for the last two years on the varsity tennis team, and this year, just a couple of weeks ago, I got to go, and he received the coach's award, and the coach called me personally to tell me, Adam, I want you to know about your son. Your son is the hardest working player on the team and is quickly becoming the leader of the team because they follow his work ethic. I'll take that every day. And my son, who is never going to travel more than a couple of miles 
away from the house, turned 15 with me in Africa last November. He's been to Africa three times. He's been to Tokyo, Thailand, and Myanmar. He's been all over the globe. He's traveled more than the wealthiest kid in his class, not because we're wealthy, but because we've got the favor of God on our life. And I want you to know that what the enemy meant for evil, there have been parent after parent after parent who said, I just threw in the towel. I just thought it was a death sentence. I thought it was over, and now I am ready to believe God again for my children. I don't know what the enemy's come in and done in your life. I just want to remind you today, it's been long enough. You've been weeping long enough. Today is the day where you find your strength in God. You stiffen your backbone by faith. You strengthen and stand up and say, if God be for me, if God be for me, who can be against me? Now they wept. David wept with his men. I, I'd like to say this as just a side note. It's important for you to know who you can be vulnerable with and who you cannot. David was able to weep with his men, and because he was able to trust them, he could be vulnerable with them. Let me tell you something. The litmus test of real friendship is knowing that you can weep with those that weep. Can you be honest with them? If you don't decide who you can be honest with before your time of difficulty comes, the crisis will propel you to trust the wrong people. And I don't know about you, but I've had moments in my life where I've told some of the wrong people some of the most honest things in my life. Not only do you have to choose who you can be vulnerable with because a leader who has nobody to be vulnerable with eventually implodes. You have to choose who you can share your blessings with because some people, misery loves company, so they have no problem when you're down. But share your blessing with somebody else and they're, they're filled with rage. They're sitting there next to you saying yes, but you know the whole time while they're sitting there, they're not happy for your new car, your new raise. They're not happy about your promotion. They're not happy about what God's doing in your life. They are filled on the inside wishing it was them instead of you. David was able to share with his men and be vulnerable and honest with them. And you've got to choose in your life who those people are. Keep those people close to you and share your heart. You have the ability to pray one with another. And so David decides, okay, i got to find strength in the Lord. He encourages himself in God. And then he asks the priest to come and says, if I go, and I go, if I go after these enemies, will I, will I have success or not? And the priest says, go, go for it. And so David rallies the men and says, we're not going to just sit here weeping. It's time for us to go. and We're going to go after them. And they follow after him. And about a third of the men get a part of the way there. And they don't have the strength to be able to go the whole way. They wind up quitting. They tell David, we're going to have to stay behind. We don't have the strength to continue on, on with the journey. And David says, okay, you stay here with the equipment. And the other two-thirds begin to, to go after the enemy. And then they come across an Egyptian slave, a young man that looks sickly. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he had become sick three days earlier, and his master left him in the desert to die. He's got nothing to offer these people. He's got nothing to offer the people of God. He, he, does, he just seems like a distraction on the road to getting what God would have for them. And so uh, they're, 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 they, 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 they pay him some attention, even though it doesn't seem very advantageous to them. The Bible says they go over to the Egyptian and they give him some water and they give him some food. and They begin to coach him back to strength. And as they're coaching him back to strength, they ask him, where, where did you come from? Why are you out here in the middle of this desert? And the Egyptian slave says, well, I'm out here because 
my master left me behind. We, we had just raided Ziklag. We had just raided the very town where David and his men had been burned to the ground. He was with them in the raiding party. And though David was going after the general direction of where he thought these men would be, did not know precisely where they would be. And so they turned to the Egyptian slave after they showed him some kindness and they said, would you show us where this raiding party is so we can go get our wives and our children back and go get our stuff back. And the Egyptian says, sure, if you, if you take me and don't turn me over, I'll, 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 I'll take you there. I'll, I'll bring you to them. It's, it's interesting to me that though this man could provide nothing, David showed him kindness and he becomes the source of the solution. Be careful who you bypass as saying, they can't help me. Be, be careful when God brings people into your life that you have the opportunity to show kindness and to bless. And when they come in, you just ignore them. Because sometimes the very thing that you, you, you don't think is going to be the answer to your prayer could actually be the key that unlocks the door you've been looking for. This Egyptian didn't seem like he's got anything to offer and yet because this Egyptian happened to be there and because he was hurting and because he was weak and because he, he, he seemed like he was in trouble, David shows kindness and it leads to getting back his wife and his children and all the men's wife and children. I've had times and moments in my life where somebody's come into my life and showed me kindness. Times in my life where I've had the opportunity to show kindness. Don't ignore the opportunities God brings your way to simply show kindness. And even if it might seem like a distraction, even though it might seem like it's a little bit out of the way, even though it seems like it doesn't, wouldn't pay off, it doesn't have any return on investment, it doesn't, it doesn't have any way they're going to. See, the real way you get to bless the Lord in those situations is when you're not going to get anything back from it. And you simply show kindness because it's the love of God. And then he says, when you visited me in prison and when you fed me. Well, when does that happen? That's when you do it to the least of these. Uh, you did it not because you were going to get something in return. You did it because you just were going to be a blessing. Let it be said in this neighborhood and up and down these blocks that when, because Zion is meeting here on Sundays, the people when they leave here, they, they, give their, they, they, they explode with generosity on the community. Let it be said that when we cross the street or when we, when we when we walk by somebody, let it be said that people can sense our kindness. The Bible says it's judgment is a strange act. It's kindness that leads to repentance. I, I, don't, I don't know that the, the way you're going to uh, continue to see souls saved in this neighborhood is simply going to be by standing on a soapbox on a corner and preaching. But it might be because your kindness is attractive. We seem to live in a world that's getting less and less kind. It's our kindness that might draw people to find out what's going on with you? Why do you, why do you live like that? Why are you so generous? And then we have the opportunity to share what Jesus has done for us. Well, David continues and they come upon the raiding party and the Bible says that they, they get back everything. Every wife Every son, every daughter, all their possessions. Nothing was lost. They got back everything. Matter of fact, it's in three consecutive verses like that. And you don't have to be a Hebrew scholar to understand. Everything is everything and nothing is nothing. And the truth of the matter is they lost nothing. They gained back everything they lost. And then they got back stuff on top of it. 
I, I don't know about you, but I, I have made a declaration in my life that for everything the enemy has tried to rob from me, I'm not going to only get back that. I want interest on it. My, my Bible says he'll give back to me everything that I had to give, everything that the enemies tried to come into my life. I want it. I want that, and then I want some. I, I, like, I, I don't want just back my son. I, I want him back with honors. I, I, don't want just, I don't want him to just be in a regular classroom. I want him to be a National Honor Society member. I don't, I don't, I don't want just back even. I want back more than. Yeah. Bible says he'll give you more than you could ask or think or imagine. I got a pretty wild imagination. I don't think I don't think it's 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 the oversizedness of our prayers. I think it's how how we dumb it down for God, as if He's not the Alpha and the Omega, as if He's not the beginning and the end, as if He's not so large that He uses the earth like a footstool. Our God is great, and He expects grandiose prayers. He expects. Big prayers from his people that are believing God to say, God, the devil cannot have my marriage. What you have joined together, let no man put asunder. God, he can't have my sons. He can't have my daughter. He can't have my finances. He can't have my peace. How many Christians are walking around full of anxiety? Don't let the enemy rob you of your peace. Jesus said, this I leave you, my peace I give you. I, 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 you can't have my joy. I will not walk around with my head down. I, will, I want back everything God has for me. When I, was a, when I was a kid, this is before your time, Justin. I had, um, I had three friends when I was in elementary school. I think I was in fourth grade at the time. They lived... One block up and three blocks over. I can still remember the house in my, in my mind. When we were young, there was um, some of y'all in the 40-year-old group. I, baseball cards were a big thing back then. Some of y'all are nodding. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we had baseball cards. And baseball cards were eventually going to buy us a house. I don't know where that went off the beaten path, but it went off the beaten path. I never got nothing for all the money I spent on baseball cards. And by the time I was in the baseball cards, unlike the previous generation, the gum was even old. Like, I, have you ever had bad gum where it did not chew, it cracked? Like, I mean, you opened up a package of baseball cards and the gum was no longer chewable. It just cracked in your mouth. It was, it was a problem. But we loved baseball cards. And the idea of baseball cards, we were supposed to keep them pristine. And you didn't want any, any, any dings or dents. You wanted no smudges. You didn't want the corners. To, you wanted to keep them crisp. So we used to have these plastic sheets. I don't know if any of y'all remember the plastic sheets, right? So we used to put them in the plastic sheets, right? You know, I, I'm just saying. We're, we're, okay, we're here. And so we just put them in the plastic sheets because we, we wanted to keep them to make sure because one day we were going to buy a house with them. <laughs> so one Christmas, I was given baseball cards as my Christmas gift. It was one sheet. The sheet held nine slots, three across, three down. And they were the starting lineup the 86 Mets. Now let me just say something. I don't hate on the Yankees, but I did grow up in the 80s around the 86 Mets, and we were big fans back then. Dwight Gooden, Daryl Strawberry, the whole deal. 
And uh, I actually just got to be with Daryl uh, over Easter. He's serving the Lord. His testimony is just absolutely amazing. I'm hoping to bring him up and do a faith night at City Field uh, maybe this fall. We'll see. Or if not, 2019. And, and so um, we, I had this thing. It was like I, I had gotten, I mean, this Christmas morning was amazing. I'd gotten these nine cards, and I was so excited. So what we used to do back in the day is you'd go show them off, and then you would trade baseball cards. I don't know if y'all remember trading cards. But the next day after Christmas, I went to my friend's house one block up, three blocks over, got to the house. It was a small attached brick house. It was attached on one side. The driveway was on the other. And when I got there, my three friends were already there waiting for me. Friends. I got in. They invited me down to the basement. I remember that the days are short in December, and when I had gone in, it was in the middle of the afternoon, and when I left, it was already dusk, and the, the sun was going down, and, and as I, I, I went into the basement, I got downstairs. I was showing them what I had gotten the day before, and I would brought all my other baseball cards with these big loose-leaf binders because that's the way you used to travel with them, and wanted to show them off. Everybody was so excited about what Christmas gifts they got, and then I got hustled. I remembered all three of them pressing on me and pushing me. And at the end of the day, when I left, I left without my Christmas gift from the day before. I don't know if you've ever been robbed, but it's a very violating feeling. You feel this sense of being taken advantage of. Oh, the walk home was a lot longer than the walk going there. They were the same four blocks, but when you walked back home after you've been taken advantage of your heads down and you feel slightly bent over, you just you feel like something's been taken out of you. And so I walked back home, I got in the back door, I went upstairs to my bedroom, I closed the door, and I just my eyes were red, I was filled with tears. I was upset. I was upset because I'd gotten taken advantage of. I was upset because I thought they were my friends. I was upset. Because I had just gotten this great Christmas gift and now I had lost it. My dad came upstairs to my room and he knocked on the door. Adam, you okay? Yeah, dad, I'm fine. No, you're not. You can hear it in the person's voice. You know, when somebody's going through something, you can hear it in their voice over the phone. You don't even have to see their face. Can I get an amen? I told him what happened. told him how those three friends had... Taking advantage. It's amazing, you know, as I'm telling you the story, I can still see the pictures of their faces in my head. I just, I can tell you their names. I, I know exactly where I was, who they are. And he just looked at me and he said, Adam, go get your stuff back. Left the house, walked a block up, walked three blocks. Is that my timer? I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm on it. That's why the watch is so big. It's just so I can, there was no clock up here. I could lay this down on the front pew and still see it. One block up, three blocks over, brick house, attached on one side, driveway on the other. There were two doors. One was like a security door. Or a screen door, something, and then there was the wooden door. And when I knocked, when I rang the bell, my friend came to the, open the first door. And when he opened the first door, he could only see partially the way outside. He couldn't see the whole way out. He looked like I was standing there again by myself. 
and he just put a smirk on his face. Like as if he's back for more. We're going to get him again. And then when he opened up the door wider, he realized that I wasn't standing there by myself. My daddy was standing behind me. And because my father was standing behind me who was taller and had greater authority, all of a sudden that smirk turned into a frown and realized what had just happened. All of a sudden the advantage that he thought he had, he no longer had advantage. You see, if my dad had told me to go get my stuff back and set me back by myself three against one, that would be cruel. But because he didn't send me back by myself but came with me, I had the authority of my father with me. I had the strength of my father with me. Here's what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is God's not sending you to go get your stuff back by yourself. He's sending you with the authority of your father who is in heaven. He is sending you back with all of the authority that God has given to you. That you might be able to go back. Because our weapons are not carnal. That is absolutely true. But oftentimes because we don't see them, we think they're weak. Your weapons, they're not carnal. They are mighty in the pulling down of strongholds. And so what's going on in your family is not going to be won by your nagging. Your, what's going on in your marriage is not going to come and change because of your fighting. Your, the stuff that's going to be happening in your life, that anxiety is not going to leave simply because you just ignore it. What I'm telling you today is that your God has told you that you can go get your stuff back. And the enemy has no right to keep it. And he's not sending you back by yourself. He's sending you back and he will stand before you and behind you he will go with you and he is God almighty all by himself and beside him there is no other would you bow your heads with me would you bow your heads with me all over this room I love that the Bible says that when they when they took off their wives and children they killed none of them because the enemy might be able to take them for a, for a time but he does not have ultimate control. Your God who rules and reigns, who sits on the throne of heaven. And I don't know where the enemy's come into your life. I don't know what he's done. But I, I can tell you from personal experience, there's a time for weeping. There's a moment and a time where you, you feel the wind got knocked out of you. And then there's a time where you find your strength in the Lord and you're reminded Today I'm not leaving the same way I got here. And it's time for me to serve notice to the enemy. You, you're not going to have my marriage. You're not going to have my husband. You're not going to have my wife. You will not have my sons. You will not have my daughters. I don't care what the statistics say. You can't have them. They belong to my God. You cannot have my peace. You cannot have my joy. You cannot have my health. You cannot have my finances. You cannot have what does not belong to you. So today, I'm, I'm drawing a line in the sand. Today, I'm, I'm serving you notice. Today's the day where I stop just simply weeping for my loss. And today's the day where I stand up, my backbone stiffened by faith because the word of God has gotten up inside of me. And I'm saying, I'm going to go after what the enemy has stolen and I'm going to get back everything and nothing will be lost. And not only do I want back everything he's taken, I want interest on it. I want more than. I want above and beyond and exceeding. I want all of that and a testimony. And so in your life,
Could it be that God sent me here this morning that I might encourage you to find your strength in God? And where is it that the enemy's come into your life that you need to believe God again for? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your children? Is it in your finances? Is it in your peace? Maybe you have just been, been, been just completely overrun with anxiety and worry. I even believe there's somebody here, you're having panic attacks, and God wants to deliver you from those panic attacks this morning. Your joy is gone. Today he's going to renew your joy. Maybe it's in your health. You've heard the doctor report, just like I heard about my son. Today's the day to know that the Lord is your healer. He is your peace. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He is your provider. He is your shield. He is your banner. He's your husband when you don't have one. He's your wife when you don't have one. He's the one who keeps watch over your children when you cannot see them. He's the one that promised that the children of the righteous will be mighty in the land. I don't know what it is you're up against. I just came to let you know that today there's strength for you to believe God. Today is the day for you to stop weeping and for you to believe your God. Find your strength in Him. But every head bowed and every eye closed, say, Pastor Adam, you're speaking to me right now. I know I can sense it in my heart. I can sense it in my spirit. I've been, I've been laying down way too long. Today's the day where I need to believe God again. If that's you, lift up your right hand right now. Go, and I'll pray for you. Go ahead. Go ahead. And don't put it up halfway. Lift it all the way up right there. Matter of fact, if you lifted up your hand, stand on your feet. There's too many of you sitting with your hands lifted. You stand up. You lift up both your hands to your God right now in His presence. And as you're standing in His presence, the Bible says He wills that all men would lift up holy hands in prayer. Every man, every woman, lift up your hands to your God in this house. In this atmosphere, where the presence of God is tangibly here, all over this place, to remind you He is your strength, he is your ever-present source of help. He is your joy. He is your peace. He's the Lord who will fight for you. He's a God of battle. Hallelujah. This is how I fight my battle. This is how I fight my battle. This is how I fight my battle.